This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, we have a very special return guest today. Tell us who you are and what you do. Oh, hi. Well, I'm Diana Merriam. I am the creator of the Economy Conference, which is coming up here in March in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then I also host the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast, which is a daily show where I read to you from amazing bloggers like Mr. 1500. Um, I like to say that all these bloggers wrote these amazing songs and I get to perform the covers. And that's every single day of the week. You can listen to me in 10 minutes or less for some personal finance knowledge. We will put links in the show notes. But today we are going to talk about spending and abundance mindset, Skyline Chili. And to kick it all off, let's talk about your big event. You have something big coming up in June. Do you want to tell us what it is? Yeah. Well, I obviously am an event producer. I produce the Economy Conference for hundreds of people. Um, We're looking at about 500 people coming in March. And I do this by myself. I manage thousands of details for hundreds of people. And so when it came to my wedding, which is going to be on June 1st, I was kind of dragging my feet on it for a while. And some people had said, just hire a planner. And I'm like, but I am a planner. Like, how can, <laughs> how can I outsource this? And yeah, so I'm planning two huge events in 2024. You should have just combined the two and got married at Economy. Oh, that would be so tacky. Okay, so this is actually really relevant because it's my approach to my wedding. Um, you know, a lot of people say that their wedding is about them. Like, this wedding is about me. It's my special day. And me and Brad don't look at it that way at all because we celebrate our relationship every day. And I called him Brad. His name is Midwestern Gentleman. Let's correct that. And so when I think about other event producers that I've seen do things like that, I just went to the Summit of Greatness and Lewis Howe proposed to his girlfriend on stage. And my friend who was with me thought it was so romantic. And to me, I thought, "Mm, it feels disingenuous. It feels like a look at me moment. And this of the event, even economy, like the economy is not about me. Economy is about the attendees. My even my own wedding is not about me. It's about the guests, right? And so I am creating almost this like performance art. And every decision that I'm making is through the lens of is this going to make it a more enjoyable experience for the guests. So I'll give you an example. No wedding party, no gift registry. The only expense you should have for my wedding is a flight and a hotel to get there because I can't cover that for everyone, (laughs) right? But like good food, really good music, the whole consumerism around weddings is so annoying. And so as an event producer, I know how much things cost. I've paid for catering before. I've paid for video production and photography. But it is quadruple the price when it's a wedding. And so that's annoying to me. And But I think I've done a really good job on finding the right vendors that aren't taking advantage of the fact that this is a wedding. Because it, essentially, it's an event. Yes, it's a wedding and that's a social norm. But this is an event which is about bringing people together and creating community and creating a special moment together. Well, for one, I've heard a rumor that it is going to be at a Skyline Chili. Is that correct? I know your love for Cincinnati Chili. That is absolutely not correct, but we will have Skyline there. And so the way that we're doing it is actually in an art gallery. And we're starting the wedding with an art show, which I can tell you more about. But the Skyline comes in as our like late night snack. So at like 10 PM, I'm going to tell the story about how Skyline is relevant to our relationship because we are getting married on the six year anniversary of our first date. On our first date, I had been living in Cincinnati for a year and I was driving him home and we passed a billboard for Skyline. And I just made a passing comment like, Oh, you know, I've never been to Skyline before. And we were actually like very close to a Skyline location. 
and he's like, pull over right now. We're having Skyline <laughs> right now. And I watched this man house a like five way or whatever it is. <laughs> and it was so gross. <laughs> and so I told him, I, will, I am never eating Skyline again, except this has been a running joke over the years, except on our anniversary. I will eat Skyline for you once a year. And so it, that our wedding falls on that day. <laughs> and I've been eating it once a year since economy started. Yeah. And it's kind of a tradition. I'm actually quite looking forward to getting back to Skyline. Yeah, me too. It, it really, it kind of cleanses the body I, in a way. And I don't think I've ever had a five-way before. And to be clear, that's a food choice. Right. <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it means there's a lot of stuff like probably cheese. It's like the three-way is like the pasta, the chili, and the cheese. The five-way is that plus beans and onions, I'm pretty sure. Right. Right. That's a traditional Italian way to serve yeah. uh, pasta, right, with beans on it. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's hor- and here, here's the thing that offends me about Skyline. And I think I might be repeating myself for people who listen to that other episode. But as an Italian, it offends me that they don't salt the pasta and they overcook that pasta. And I just, I can't get past it, Doug. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. It, it is certainly overcooked. They, they make up for the sodium elsewhere, I think. Yeah. So it's not a yeah. it's not a heart healthy meal, but it's great and we'll check it out and it will be at your wedding. But here's the thing. Last time I was on the show, we came up with a brilliant idea about a fountain. We were gonna have a, you guys were gonna build a fountain where the chili was gonna like like one of those chocolate fountains where you dip and we could dip hot dogs into the chili fountain because this is a super classy wedding. <laughs> and so, and you guys are both invited to the wedding, which you have not RSVP'd yet, which I'm just going to call you out publicly if that's okay. But you guys have been so involved. Like you were involved in the engagement. Which which was super interesting. Can, can you share the story from, from your perspective? And then we'll, okay. we'll set it up on our side too. Yeah. Okay. So this is a funny story because, I mean, I knew the engagement was coming. We have been betrothed since the winter of 2021 when he moved into my house with his son. And so we always knew that we were going to get married, but we just were like trying to figure out the fun timing to have a party and celebrate it. And so that's why we decided we would wait until our anniversary fell on a Saturday, which is just happens to be in 2024. And so I knew... After Economy 2023, I just started planning the wedding because we already had our date and you have to get a venue over a year in advance if you have like a very specific date you wanted. So I started like full steam ahead towards planning this wedding. And he was like, he asked me to pause. He was like, I didn't know that the engagement and like the ring and the proposal was actually really important to him because to me it wasn't. Um, And so he wanted to have his like main character moment. I think (laughs) he's a Leo. He's a Leo. People don't believe that about him because I'm always so extroverted, but he wants his main character moment. And so he tells me to pause on wedding planning. And I knew that this proposal was going to happen. And so this one Saturday, it was like the last Saturday in June or like third week in June, I had gone hiking with my best five friend, Aaron. We had a big hike and I was supposed to have dinner with my friend, Peggy. And so she tells me she's going to pick me up at 6 p.m. At the time she shows up, I'm walking the dog. I'm walking in my front door and she follows me in the house, which I thought was weird because I was just going to grab my purse and we were going to go to dinner. And so she follows me in the house and she walks over to a shelf in my kitchen and she pulls out a thumb drive. And I was like, what is this? And she's like, I got to show you something. And so I was like, okay. And so we pull out my laptop and we plug it in. And the three of you, you, Brad, Doug, Brad, Carl, the three of your faces are just up on my screen. And all I could think was, oh, my God, we're getting engaged today. Like, I just knew it as soon as I saw the three of you. And then you proceeded to talk about nothing for 10 minutes. (laughs) And I was like, what are they doing? Like, what is the point of this? I don't get it. So what is what was it from your perspective? I'm just curious. You saw our faces and the thought you had was, we're going to get engaged. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little confused. Why else, why else would he coordinate with you? Like, he's he's not a podcaster. He doesn't do interviews. You know what I mean? Like, 
I know he loves your show, but and I knew the engagement was coming. So as soon as I saw you guys, I'm like, oh, this has to be it. And the fact that like Peggy would have that, like Peggy isn't Peggy has no idea who you guys are. She's like, you know what I mean? I just I I it was just so random that all of these pieces kind of came together. So but how did he reach out to you? Like what was the what was it from your perspective? Yeah, we received an email and I think the subject line of the email was engaging Diana. And he told us he had this elaborate plan to propose to you and that he wanted us to be part of it. And I think we both thought that was a little bit different perhaps, but it was cool. It was an honor that he wanted us to be part of your special day. So yeah, we tried to record one time and I think there were some audio issues. So we ended up recording a second time I was on I was in Hawaii and they have a small house, my my friends who I was staying with. So I was kneeling like on their bedroom floor with a laptop <laughs> on their bed to record that video. Yeah, it worked out good though. And he had, like we, we interviewed him. We did a legit interview and we were uh, purely interested. So we, it went longer than we expected, to be honest with you. But we were interviewing him on his qualifications as a Midwestern gentleman. So that okay. was the topic area, but we probably were like, oh, that's really interesting. And then we start asking him about whatever his uh, meal planning and workout routine. And we're just like having a great conversation <laughs> and then we, we reel it back in. We're like, all right, this fits in a puzzle for the whole day. But yeah, we were totally surprised that we were involved in, in that. It was very cool. Honestly, the first time I watched it, I was so distracted because it was just the shock of like knowing that today is the day. And so I remember like I kept pausing it and looking at Peggy and I'm like, is this what I should wear? Does my hair look okay? Like, you know what I mean? And he actually even said that at the end. He's like, I know you're worried about your hair. Take 10 minutes. Peggy's going to take you somewhere, but like take 10 minutes, make sure you're he you know it's the day. So I think it's funny that he acknowledged that. But yeah, I remember watching it again. Now, this was back in June, so we're like six months from when this happened. But, you know, I remember watching it again the next day and being able to actually pay attention to what you guys were talking about. And it was it was fun. I mean, it was fun, but I was so like, I could not pay attention the first time. So one other thing that's interesting is I was trying to explain this concept in the interview to my wife. And she was like, I don't understand how you and Carl fit into... <laughs> their special day at all. <laughs> and I, I'm still not sure that I explained it properly or if there's a way to actually convey <laughs> what the fuck was going on. Well, but, what he did is he involved all of our friends and family. And so it was a way to involve people that we just like. And I do think it was sweet because I remember one moment during that little interview in the video, he said to you guys, if you were her brothers, would we, would you like give the thumbs up for us to get married? And I think you, it like kind of took you guys like threw you off guard. You were kind of like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we approve now. We approve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do yeah. we have veto power though? Or I, I didn't know we had veto power. <laughs> yeah, <we> could... <laughs> That's um, but what he ended up doing the rest of the proposal was he sent letters he wrote these like really beautiful letters some of them were very sweet some of them were really funny but it was all like stories about us or me like about my past that i had told him and so he wrote these letters and he mailed them out to our friends and family and he collected all these videos where he wanted a blind like a live blind reaction to the story so he was very clear with people like do not uh, do not read this until you're recording so he could get an authentic genuine reaction and so people recorded themselves reading these letters and reacting to these stories and he collected all these videos and so after your podcast episode with him peggy brings me to the a hotel in our neighborhood that ha and on each floor of the hotel, someone was standing there with like a phone to show me a video. And um, so I kind of went up the floors watching all of these videos and they were so funny and well done and like lovely. And then um, on the top floor, his son was there um, to kind of walk me to the room where he was on one knee ready to just, he begged me to marry him. It was so funny. I have a video of like, yeah, I'll send it to you guys because it's really cute. So yeah, it was it was to me it was such a 
interesting engagement because it was so creative. It wasn't that big public moment, right? No one else was in the hotel. Like no one saw this happening. We had some people meet us for like drinks afterwards. So it was like this grand gesture, but it was still relatively private and intimate. And everything he wanted to say got said through these letters. So by the time I got to him, the only thing to do was put a ring on it, you know? And it was just so, it was well done. It was really well done. And it was just so cool that he involved you guys. Yeah, that's such an amazing proposal. So elaborate, so much planning. I don't know if I've heard anything like it. I have not. And maybe we have a future career, Doug, as some kind of wedding planners or, I don't know, planners is the wrong word, but we can be involved in people's weddings, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Or engagements <laughs> or proposals. Yeah. Or maybe I, divorces. I like yeah. <laughs> all, all of it. It's like we we could meet you wherever you're at. I package. guarantee after you release this interview, someone's going to um, contact you and be like, can you help me with my request for a divorce? <laughs> can you do this in reverse and like interview them about why the marriage is falling apart? I think that'd be a great way to like close the loop on this. That's dark. Well, one thing, <laughs> one, as we, we'll keep talking about wedding stuff here. So Carl and I, we had relatively small weddings. It was just my, my parents, my in-laws, and the one grandparent that was still alive. No siblings, no one else. So it was just kind of a small elopement situation. And that's what we wanted to do. We didn't want to spend a lot of time planning and like negotiating with relatives and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it missed sort of the thing that you're talking about where like, it's not necessarily about you guys. It's about the guests mm-hmm. and everyone's celebrating side note. We did have a party later. Um, but our wedding was very small. Carl, yours was very small as well, right? Yeah. We each had our best friends, our siblings and our parents, and that was it. And despite the smallness of it, I think there was not even 20 people there. There was still drama and Mindy was crying and we should have just <laughs> fucking eloped it. Yeah, it, it went downhill quickly. <laughs> so, well, and the thing is, I think you started with a relatively or a smaller scope, but it has grown. Yes. Can you talk about that yeah. and why? Yeah. So originally, I built a budget for like twenty grand, which I thought was way too much. Right? Like, I I never in my wildest dreams would think that I would spend twenty grand on a wedding, but the reality is. You know, I had mentioned before the wedding industry, they're just, their prices are so inflated. And especially after COVID, like I knew someone who they got married before COVID and then it didn't work out. And then they got married again after COVID and they went to all the same vendors to like price out and they were all triple the price in a matter of a few years. And so it's just inflation is a thing, right? And so prices are just insane right now. And I was going to spend 20 grand on a wedding that when I looked at how much I was spending on each thing, it was like what I was getting for what I was spending. I felt like my wedding was going to be lame, to be honest. Like when I would talk to people about wedding planning, I'm like, I feel like it's going to be lame. And everyone had said to me, the wedding, the details of the wedding, like, you know, the caterer that you pick and the decorations and the colors and all of that stuff really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the people that are there. That's what makes your wedding fun or not. Right. And so you got to be super like diligent about the invite list. And we wanted to keep it to 60 people to manage those costs. So I was going to, I was going to spend 20 grand on 60 people. And that just felt like, ugh. You know, I spend a hundred grand on economy and that's 500 people. You know what I mean? It was just, it was annoying me, this whole budget thing and feeling very restricted on the guest list. So then I I go to Hoffman in December and I have been dragging my feet on this wedding for six months. We got the venue um, and we were like close. I think we got the caterer. But everything else, like the photographer, videographer, I went dress shopping in August. I hated everything. We couldn't align on the guest list. It was too hard. Brad was kind of just like, I don't even know if I want to do this. For him, it was like, if he can't... He felt really bad about 
not being able to invite everyone he wanted to invite because we were trying to keep it to 60 people. So we were just like stuck on this wedding and we were not excited about it. So then I go to Kaufman and I'm digging around in my unconscious, right? And what came up for me is I actually didn't realize how sad I was that my dad um, wasn't going to be there. And so my dad passed away when I was two. He was a stay-at-home dad. And you know, my whole life, I didn't really think that that affected me that much because I don't have any memories of him. You know, it was just kind of like a life circumstance that I thought I was used to. And at Hoffman, I realized how this wedding for me represents all of those father daughter moments that I never had my whole life. And I'm actually really sad that he's not going to walk me down the aisle and we're not going to have the father daughter dance. And, um, The other thing about him specifically is that my dad was like a larger than life kind of person. And he was the person in my family that brought everybody together. And he died 34 years ago. And the family has like never gotten together after that. And so to me, what really shifted is recognizing like, what an amazing way to honor my dad to show him how it's done, first of all. Like my dad liked to party. I'll show him how to party, okay? Hmm. And also to bring together the family that hasn't seen each other in decades, specifically his siblings. He has three surviving siblings. And you know, I wrote them an email and told them about this and how important it is for to me that they come. Because to me, this wedding is so much about honoring my dad and celebrating life. I think that, you know, as much as we stress about spending money, life is an amazing thing to be lived. And when you put restrictions on yourself that are unwarranted, I have plenty of money. I have plenty of money, you know? And I think about, I'm worried about a 20 grand budget. If we spent 50 grand on this wedding, it would be fine. We would barely notice it. Right. And so I think I just really had this shift of recognizing that this wedding is not a burden, it's a huge opportunity. And when I think about bringing people together, firstly to honor my dad, but also to just bring people together, you know, there's a lot of people that love me and care about me that wouldn't get on a plane to come to economy, but they'll get on a plane to come to a wedding. And so if I want to show, the people that I care about, how much I love them. And we don't get to see each other in person a lot. Like I can't waste this moment. I can't waste this opportunity. Life is too short to not spend money on your relationships. And that's what this wedding really represents to me is it's not about me and Brad. It is about the people that we love and getting them in a room together. And if that means that we're going from 60 to 150 people, which is what we increased the guest list to. We Our capacity is 200 for the reception space, but like the actual ceremony space, we can probably only fit 100. So we invited 150. We'll squeeze if they're not all going to come, you know, so we're estimating I'll probably net out around 100. Again, you guys are undecided, which is fine. No pressure. No pressure. I'm asking you to come back to Cincinnati twice. Like, I get that that's a huge ask. But to me, it's just, it's important. And what we've, what we've done is to really look at the consumerism of weddings that we don't like and just to not do any of that stuff. I don't know if we were recording because I feel like I said this before, but no wedding party, no registry, you know, um, no bridal shower, though his cousin really wants to throw me something. He's going to New Orleans for a bachelor thing with his friends. I'm taking myself to New York City for a rager for like five days to see all my old friends in the city. But like, we just are very conscious of like not asking our guests to spend m- money unnecessarily. Right. And to just ensure that where we are spending money is not on flowers, but it's on, you know, good food. And like the DJ that we have is like a local celebrity. Anyone from Cincinnati listening to this, Natalie Jones, who is a DJ on Q102, she's emceeing and DJing our wedding. Like she's going to make it amazing. Um, So 
yeah, I I think that to me was the big shift. I want to jump in. So you mentioned the Hoffman event. Can mm-hmm. you quickly describe that? And if people stick around, it's on the sound check. So you talk about it more in depth, but just um, quickly, if okay. people haven't heard uh, what Hoffman is. Yeah. So Hoffman is, it's like a week long retreat, basically, where you turn in your cell phone and your laptop and you focus on really deep work for a week. And they describe it as like 10 years of therapy in one week. I think it's a lifetime of therapy. I've seen 12 different therapists. I've been going to therapy for 17 years and I never got out of therapy what I got out of Hoffman. I would call it like a masterclass in authenticity because I think you can't be authentic unless you're deeply rooted in yourself. It's like, to me, Hoffman is this process of we're so externally facing, right? We think about life and we think about the world and there's so much to explore externally. But if if what Hoffman showed me is that internally, there's an even bigger world in there. And if you can learn how to go within, it's amazing what, what is revealed to you. This is why people do psychedelics, okay? I got out of Hoffman what people describe out of getting out of doing psychedelics and i will tell you that when i came home for 2 weeks i was blissed out i i mean at one point i remember sitting there at hoffman and thinking they must have put drugs in the food cuz i felt like i was on mushrooms and i felt like the music that they were playing was like behind me and i was like what the actual fuck is this <laughs> right <laughs> and like when i came home for 2 weeks i couldn't look at screens i like lost all sense of time everything felt euphoric. Like I was going to hot yoga every day and just like having the best time of my life. I was washing dishes in like a state of bliss. I People thought I was so weird when I got back. And so I'm glad that like I've calmed down a bit. Like I can answer emails now. I can have a conversation, right? Like, but I was, I was like, people thought I was really weird when I got back. But I will tell you, my relationships transformed overnight my business became effortless. Um, it was like the floodgates opened on my life when I got back from Hoffman. I cannot recommend this enough. And I don't think there's like a one size fits all. I think Hoffman was saved me. I think Hoffman saved me. But there, I think it's probably not for everyone. Like I think there's probably other things like that. Like I've tried psychedelics before and it wasn't right for me, but other people tell me how much it helped them. So I think everybody needs to figure out what's right for them. But for me specifically, Hoffman was life-changing. Well, that's uh, super interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you about is, I think one of the big issues people struggle with in the FI community is transitioning to spending no matter how much money they have. I was just, two real quick stories. I was talking to a friend this week and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to quit until I have 10 million. I think he, I don't know if he moved the goalposts, but that's a lot of money. And, and uh, another friend, I was going to go hiking with them in Las Vegas, and they were supposed to sell their practice, so we had this hiking thing planned out. And they're like, well, we can't go. We decided to give it one more year of the practice. We're mm-hmm. going to save up some more money. It, that's kind of the opposite of spending. You're saving more, but it's kind of the same thing. Your struggles with money and your relationship with it. How, how do you – are you in a better place with money? Or It sounded like you needed to go – through this Hoffman thing to discover these, this relationship with your father. I'm, I'm going broad here. I'm trying to think of where I'm going with this. But if you hadn't gone through the Hoffman process, would you still have been spending this big money on, on the wedding? I think it would have been harder for me. Um, I think I would have resented every expense before Hoffman. And now I recognize like I can always make more money if I need to. I'm getting married once, hopefully, (laughs) right? I'm having one wedding. That's the plan. I will never have another wedding. I cannot miss this moment. Life is too short to worry about spending money when you have already too much money. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing I think is funny about like five people that they worry so much about oh, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm never going to make any money ever again. So I've got to make sure that I have enough. 
But here's the thing, the way that I look at it, I quit my job three years ago. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary. I walked away from a a pretty good six-figure income. And I have made like, my income dropped a hundred grand the last three years. And I've seen no change in my lifestyle because I'm fairly frugal. I don't have a lot of, I'm not very materialistic, right? But when I was working, I had a pretty successful career where I made my clients $50 million over the course of my career. I was a salesperson. Is It seems ludicrous to think that if I needed to make money, someone who has a career where I made my clients $50 million, do you really think that I couldn't figure out making more money one day? And I would say I'm not rare in the FI community. This community it has exceptional talent and really successful people. I mean, I go to these events and I am so impressed by by the level of success of people in the FI community and the level of like expertise and you know, I think FI attracts a pretty ambitious person with you know what I mean? And so it's like for some reason when it comes to money and financial planning we forget that we actually have a lot of earning potential and we could turn it on or off if we need to. I think what we lack in the FI community is not money or resources or connections or any of that. What we lack is imagination, I think. And if we can tap into that, that to me is an abundance mindset, is kind of like recognizing all of the options that we have now rather than the scarcity side of things just always demands more you know versus being satisfied with what you have and trusting that like let's say you're wrong and the shit hits the fan you're gonna figure it out so we all know that humans are hardwired to for negativity bias do you think mm-hmm. that's the core issue i think it's part of it i think it's scarcity is ingrained in us in our society you know so I think you have to be really intentional about pushing back on that. But if you if you just like we have we're smart people. We have critical thinking skills. If you look at the evidence in front of you, like look at all of the things in your life that you've been worried about your your whole life. How much of that actually came to pass? Very little of it, right? And so doesn't that give you some kind of comfort? You know, I, I, you guys talked about this Camp Five speech that I did, that video just came out, and I tell this story. So I don't want to repeat too much, but, you know, I had a colleague once where I was super stressed at work, and she said to me, Can you tell me what you were worried about on this day one year ago? And I was like, No. And she's like, Yeah, because none of this shit matters, right? Like you're worried about things that don't matter. The reality is that money is the only thing in life that you can completely fuck up and you're going to be totally fine. You could go bankrupt. How many times has Trump gone bankrupt? How many? I don't know. Isn't it a lot? He doesn't look like he's walking around embarrassed about it or worried about it at all. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So like we, we get so worried about money stuff, but the reality is that like the only the things in life that actually matter are your health and relationships. You can really do irreparable damage in those two areas. So like stop worrying about money and worry about things that actually matter because you can always make more money and money is 100% figure outable. It is a completely dispassionate and impersonal tool. Don't worry about messing that up. And I I love the the conversation and the topic area around like scarcity and moving to abundance, especially when you're going from like um, sort of a frugal saving accumulation phase into post-retirement. And you're like, okay, we got to draw it down. We have to think about spending money. Otherwise you're going to end up with like $50 million by accident. And that's not what we're trying to do. So we're going to come back to that scarcity topic, but we actually have a sponsor today. A listener contacted us about being one of his favorite shows. I I think I assumed we're one of his favorite shows and potentially sponsoring the show. We weren't really sure about it, but Rich insisted that we test out one of the products and it's not lube like you might be thinking. Though we're 100% open to that if there's um, a product manufacturer out there. It turns out we really like the company and the products. 
You have your you have your ad read, Carl. Oh, geez, I Jesus, I wrote I, the whole script I, out. I had no Come idea. on, bro. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out we really like the company and the products. Get ready for a game-changing sleep upgrade with GhostBed. This is a bed that'll help you if you're a hot sleeper, and I know from experience that you're a hot sleeper, Doug. Yes, super hot, (laughs) as you know. Their Lux mattress is a true marvel. Seven cooling layers, the coolest bed in the world. Uh, I have to pause here, Doug. I, yeah, the hot sleeper thinks we've shared a room many times, and I'm not going to go any more than that, any deeper than that. But I know you're a hot sleeper, and you have some other. You're quite a cuddler. Yeah, sometimes. Not when you're snoring. <laughs> and don't mess with their feature-packed adjustable base head and foot adjustability, one-touch buttons for zero-gravity massage. Wow. USB mm-hmm. ports and under bed LED lighting. Have, have you tried the massage feature yet? I haven't. I haven't tested that out yet, but it sounds good. It's it's right where you need it to be. Sounds better than good. GhostBed is a family-owned business with 20 years of experience and over 60,000 five-star reviews in patented sleep and cooling technology. And massaging tech, apparently. Their mattresses are crafted for unbeatable comfort made right here in the USA. That's cool. And they have a hundred and one night sleep, a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a twenty plus year warranty. I think it varies on the product that you get, which is uh, much longer than the industry standard out there. And here's the deal: use our special link, ghostbed.com/slash/milehighfi. Again, that's ghostbed.com/slash/milehighfi with code milehighfi at checkout, and you'll get a jaw dropping fifty percent off site wide. That's almost as amazing as finding a cure for asparagus pee. Don't miss out on the best sleep of your life. Upgrade with a ghost bed today. And side note, Rich is going to be at Economy. So he's going to hang out and party with us. And we're looking forward to meeting him in person. I hope he brings that massaging mattress with. Yeah. We could bring some other massaging things. I know, you know, people are into that. have one of these? I like Googled it while you're talking about this. I want one. You guys have one? We have uh, the pillows, right? So Carl and I each have a... The, the pillows that we tested out and they have like a cooling gel on top, which is perfect. My wife stole mine. So. Wow. I really want one. Will you introduce me to Rich? Yeah. We, we have a coupon code for you. So yeah, he, he'll actually chat with you and there's a quiz that, you know, you could find out what kind of mattress because they have several different mattresses depending on what you need, including like an RV mattress. So people that are like building out like a camper van or whatever, they wow. have like one that's thinner and lighter and all the things you need for an RV. is, And this is a good segue, Doug. You and I are going to be part of the hosting team for the opening party at Economy. Is that correct, Diana? That's right. It's the unofficial welcome. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be taking a bath, getting ready for dress rehearsal the next morning. But you guys are going to be helping to get the party started on Thursday night going into the weekend. It should be pretty awesome. Yeah, we showed up late last year. So this year we are getting in on Thursday. And, we, you know, we didn't attend this last time. So what what might folks expect for that little drinks. opening party? Hanging out? Drinks. Hanging out, drinks. We Location to be determined last year was at Taft's, Taft's Brewing, and or Taft's Ale House. And I think that location might have closed so I'm trying to figure out if we go to the other location or if that's too far and we need to find a different venue. I heard it was a great time. I, uh, again, don't attend this. It's the unofficial welcome to Economy. But it's a great way to like kick off the weekend, start meeting people, have some drinks, get excited for, for the weekend. Very cool. And we'll come back to the Economy topic um, at, at the very end here. But we are excited about the the opening party stuff. So... Scarcity versus abundance. Was there a specific shift for you where you were like, it's okay for me to spend money? How has the journey gone over the last few years for you? Yeah. So I think probably a good reflection moment was like when Brad moved into my house, we started out like that was in December of 2021. And so 2022 was like the year that we were like, And we didn't move in together until we were together for like three and a half years. We kind of took things really slow and we wanted to be really sure. Especially when you have kids involved, you know, it's like you just have to be really careful. And so we wanted to make sure that this was like, we're in it for the long haul. So 
three and a half years in, we move in together. And so 2022 was really the first year that we were like spending as a couple. Because before that, you know, I managed, I was just me. And so it was really easy for me to kind of like budget and track my expenses. And like, I was spending on average, you know, 25 grand a year, maybe 25, 30 grand a year. And it was just me. And, you know, once I'm now part of a family and we've got the kid and like we adopted two cats at the same time that they were moving in, that just kind of randomly happened. I was walking buddy and there were these two nine week old kittens by a dumpster and I just fell in love with them. And now all of a sudden my house goes from me and my dog to like six living things in my house. (laughs) You know, it just, it's like my life expanded overnight and became a lot more complex. And so that was a little bit uncomfortable to, to have that shift in dynamic. And I found that the way that I was managing my money when it was just me, it wasn't as easy when it was for a family. And the expenses were a lot higher and we had more need for convenience. And just, it's like kind of, I think about Carl, you on the the podcast with Ramit and he talked about how a complex system just has waste. And that bothered me when I was still in a scarcity mindset. You know, I want to optimize everything. But the reality was me trying to optimize everything was just creating more tension than was necessary because me and Brad have been hoarding money for years. You know, we're both very frugal people. And so I think when your savings rate is maybe like the gap between your income and expenses is small, you have more of a need to be diligent and watch every penny. But I had a 60% savings rate when I was working. And like we very easily spend way below our means. And so there isn't a lot of utility in being overly fixated on the numbers. It's just creating unnecessary stress. And so you know, we would kind of like drag our feet on the tracking. We were like using different systems to try to like look at all of our separate accounts together. And it just got to a point where like it wasn't enjoyable. You know, I used to like looking at my numbers and in this dynamic, I just didn't like it anymore. And I felt like I was always behind on updating the spreadsheets and updating, you know, the tracking and budgeting and all of that. Because not only was I initially, we had like our joint expenses, then we had each separate expenses. And then I'm also managing economy expenses. So I was managing almost like three P&Ls. And it was just, it was annoying and I didn't enjoy it. And it was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. If we, if, and I actually got this from, from Leaf, physician on fire at a Camp Fi event where he was just kind of like, yeah, just track your expenses. Like know how much you spend every year. You know the total number. You don't even need to break it down by category. I spend 50 grand a year. Great. And just make sure you're around that number. And then you don't have to do any more work on your money. <laughs> you know. And I was like, that sounds really good, actually. Like, I just want to do that. And so I would say there were a few moments in our joint spending where you know, we felt like we were spending too much. And we were doing a bad job at tracking and budgeting. And so I'd say, okay, all of the money is coming in and out of three different checking accounts. Let me just look at all those transactions and just look at inflows and outflows. We won't even put it into categories. Just how much are we spending every month? And when we felt like we weren't paying attention and we were overspending, we were spending on average $3,500 a month. Who cares? Who cares? Right? Like we're stressing over something that doesn't matter. And so we just, you know, recently, since I got back from Hoffman, we have been spending with abandon. Like we have just been spending so much money since I got back on the wedding, on upgrading our wardrobes, on like like I mean, it's like when Mr. Money Mustache bought a Tesla and everyone freaked out because it's like, oh no, he became a consumer, you know? <laughs> like I feel like I'm like that now. I talk so much about frugality, but the reality is the only rule that you need to know about money is spend less than you earn and invest the difference. And despite us spending a lot more than we used to, we are still spending less than we earn. And if you look at our net worth, even us going crazy, it's affected it barely at all. Not at all. I don't know. I don't notice any difference in our net worth. 
And so that's been a big shift. I, I would say that's a long answer to how we got here. But yeah, it's been a big shift. I have a few follow-ups. Um, one, I remember chatting with Brandon, mad scientist, similar thing. He like specifically tried to spend more as much as he could. Doesn't make a dent. Very interesting. The other follow-up, and I'll pose it to both of y'all, I'll send it to you, Carl, first. The the scarcity mindset, it seems negative. Is there ever a time where the scarcity mindset is good? Well, in this relates to something I was going to ask Diana about. So Diana said, the only rule is spend less than you earn. But my comment on that, and maybe a counterpoint was, maybe it's worthwhile to have more of a scarcity mindset when you're young, so you can get that ball rolling. Like if you're 24 and out of college, get out of debt. And then maybe err a little bit harder towards maxing out your 401ks or getting money put away, and then let it loose a little bit after that. But I, I I think you have to be real careful with this because it has to be a balance. You can't postpone your happiness. And I think we've all talked about you don't have to spend a lot of money to be happy either. But I don't know. Do you think there's value to that? I know you said the only rule is spend less than you earn. But totally. should you pivot a little bit over time and maybe change? I I think that's my scarcity mindset has served me well for certain periods. And when the situation, when my life circumstances warranted it, right? When I found Mr. Money Mustache in 2015, I was 30 grand in debt for no reason. And I got out of that in 11 months. And and then I started saving and investing 60% of my income and that allowed me to retire at 33. So yeah, the scarcity mindset allowed me to achieve a financial goal. But what I'm realizing over time is that the skills and the ways of thinking that get you, say, to FI or to financial stability don't allow you to enjoy what you built, right? It's almost like let it serve you and then learn how to let it go so that because you don't need it anymore. It's like you got to take off that, take off that safety vest. You know how to swim now. You know, and that to me is, is it's, it's an evolution based on your financial position. Like it doesn't make sense for us anymore to track, to like obsess over every dollar we spend. We're not in that phase of life anymore, but it did serve us well at one point. We are actually coming up on the end of time, even though I feel like we could just chat for days and days here. I do want to talk about the economy conference. Carl and I are both going. Mindy's going. A bunch of our our listeners are going too. What should people expect? Can you quickly describe the the conference, the size, what they should expect, and maybe what they shouldn't expect? Yeah. So the economy conference exists to solve two problems for people on the path to FI. The first is that it can be a lonely endeavor, right? And the tagline of the event is FI is better with friends, right? It just is. Why retire early if you have no one to hang out with? And so really it's about community. And then the other issue that we solve is like when you first start getting into this stuff, it's really exciting. It's all new news, right? You optimize your expenses, you increase your income, you come up with your investment strategy, you're reading all the blogs, like it's all exciting. But then like, I don't know, five, eight years in, you're kind of in the boring middle, right? You're working your plan, but it's like, nothing is new as exciting anymore. And so I tell people come to economy to kind of fuel your fire. Get yourself re-engaged with this pursuit that was super exciting to you at one point. Because I really challenge myself to bring in content that's almost on the periphery of the fire movement so that it is new news again. And so I would say like the kind of people that come to FI, we're expecting about 500 people. We're 10 weeks out and we're at around 400, but ticket sales have been like through the roof. And so I'm anticipating we're going to sell out at 500 people. And about 30% of the audience, over 30% of the audience is already FI and retired. So a lot of people are like, well, I already reached the goal. What do I need this conference for? But there, I mean, and even Carl, you talked about this, like purpose. And what do you do with yourself after you reach this goal? You have all this time and, and resource. 
what are you going to do with it? And so that's a big question that people are looking to answer at economy of like, what do I want to do with myself? About 60% of the audience is in that messy middle, right? So they want to get validation on their numbers. They want to talk to people that are doing this. They have certain questions. They want reassurance on their plan, right? And so that's what you do. You talk, everyone there is comfortable talking about money. It's like you've never experienced, most of us have never experienced that before, right? Because money's so taboo. So the the programming of the event, it is a three-day fully immersive event. You'll see the schedule up on my website, economyconference.com. It's a collection of social activities, of main stage speeches, which if you're only interested in the content, just go to my YouTube channel and watch all the speeches. Carl's is up there. And you know, if you're not interested in the community, don't waste your money, right? I, I only want you to come if you like really want to engage in the community. So main stage speeches, we do two hour deep dive workshops to get like really super into a topic like, what do I do about taxes or drawdown strategies or th- travel hacking, like th- topics like that, that are really meaty that need more than 20, a 20 minute main stage. So we do deep dive workshops and then we do breakout sessions where you can, those are really designed to fill us, facilitate discussion amongst attendees. Because as much as we have amazing speakers, there is so much wisdom and knowledge in the room. So we got to get people talking to each other. And that's what those breakout sessions are designed for. So three days in Cincinnati, Ohio, March 15th through 17th, you can go to economyconference.com to get your ticket. And we've got a discount code for listeners of this show, Mile High Fi. If I'm correct, that's our discount code. Yes. Yes. So that'll get you 10% off. But we got to we gotta giddy up because we're like less than 10 weeks out now. And I don't know when this episode's going to air. Very soon. So yeah, people... Yeah. Sign up, Carl and I will party with you. And like many conferences, you hear, uh, it's it's like hanging out in the hallway. hundred percent. I mean, the community is so much here and the times that I remember are hanging out in the lobby of the hotel or grabbing food with folks or like the Friday activities. Do you, what's in store for Friday? Do you have that? Yeah, itinerary? so we're doing um we're doing speed friendshipping again. So it's like speed networking, but way less professional. And so this is a really good opportunity for you to meet what is it? You're gonna meet 14 other people on the first night through a facilitated activity. And what people love about it, and the last year was the first time we did it. We had 250 people show up just for that evening activity, and everyone said to me, like, you have to do this again because those 14 people became my friends for the rest of the weekend. It's like you felt more comfortable going up to them because you had met them before. And a lot of people go to economy by themselves. So it, I really do focus on like programming to like make sure everybody feels comfortable because not everybody is as extroverted as I am. Like I have no problem just walking up to anyone. Um, I really try to like assist people and like making sure you're talking and meeting people because that's what you're there for, right? Don't miss that moment. Carl, do you have any other follow-up questions? No, I can't wait for that opening party. Hopefully we can get one of those vibrating beds to it or no, massaging <laughs> beds. There's There's probably a difference there. No, I think it's exactly the same. I'm not <laughs> sure. We'll check with the sponsor. Uh, yeah, maybe people can come try it out. <laughs> yeah, so bring your quarters. I think that's how we're going to make it work. All right. Where where should people find you, Diane? Um, so you can listen to me every single day of the week. Allow me to serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge on the <laughs> Optimal Finance Daily podcast. And then you can also find me at economyconference.com. And if you sign up for my mailing list, there's a pop-up window if you go to my website. And when I quit my job, we're coming up on my three-year anniversary. I quit my job in like a, it's like I burned the bridge on the way out. And I wrote this really damning exit letter about how screwed up it was, my situation at work. And I share with you that exit letter. It's so juicy. And so if you want to read my exit letter, sign up for my mailing list and it will be in your inbox. Perfect. Yeah, we'll link up to all that stuff so people could find it really easily. And I interviewed you right after you sent that email because I thought it was awesome. So I'll I'll link up to that as well on my my own podcast. All the we went much deeper than what you put in the email. So all right, this is amazing, and uh, thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. 
If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you could do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. Diana, do you set resolutions at the beginning of the year? Yeah. What are your top three? Well, I only have one this year. In the past, I had like a whole like quarterly project management. You know what I mean? Where it was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was a little like anal about it in the past. But this year, my only resolution is to maintain peace of mind. That's it. Okay. Yeah. And how does that look? Or how, how do you do that? What does that mean? So every morning I have like a practice of like lighting three candles. Um, even with our 11 year old, we like light candles to start the day. And so it's acknowledging things we're excited about or things we really appreciate. Um, so we light a candle for things. I guess you could say it's like a little prayer, but we don't use that word. Um, and journaling. So I journal a very specific way every morning. And then every night I write three things I appreciate about myself and three things I'm grateful for. So it's basically like two kind of, I guess, mindset practices, one in the morning and one to end the day and kind of bookmarking my day to make sure I'm continuing to maintain that peace of mind. Nice. You said you had a specific journaling practice. Could you elaborate on that just a little bit? I'm curious. So did I tell you guys I did something crazy last month called the Hoffman process? Nope. Oh, I've heard of that. Who was just talking about that? I don't remember. It was some podcast. You're the second person who I've heard about that from well, in as many Andrew weeks. Huber, Andrew Huberman has done it. That's so right. I think he, yeah. And um, Tim Ferriss has interviewed like a number of people who have done it. Like Oprah did it eight years ago. I don't think she's talked about it publicly. But uh, who was it? The founder of Tom's had like a glowing review for it on the Tim Ferriss show. But anyway, it's a little bit elitist, this thing, which, you know, fine, whatever. But I got a scholarship. So I only paid $2,700 to go. And it was a week long, like full immersive thing where I had to check in my cell phone and my laptop for an entire week. So full digital detox for a week. It felt like I was gone for a year and I like went to a different planet. It was insane. But that's where I learned a lot of it. Like I just had this huge, profound and transformative experience. And now the work is like taking those practices that I learned and maintaining what I gained there. And so this, this specific journaling exercise, it's called a quadrity check-in and you learn it during the process. So I feel like it's not going to make any sense the way I'm describing it, if you you don't have this context of the experience that I had. But basically, you check in with the four parts of yourself. You ask like your body, what do you need today? And sometimes it's like, I need a nap in the afternoon. I need to drink more water. I would like more coffee, whatever it is, right? So you check in with your body, you check in with your intellect. And that's a lot of like, oh, I got to get this task done. I got to get this. I got to send that email to get it off my mind. Right. So you're kind of like listening to the different parts of yourself. You ask your like emotional side of yourself. What do I need? I need to spend more time with this person that I'm trying to connect with more. And I need to, you know, tell my partner I'm upset about something or whatever. And then you check in with, they call it your spiritual self. That word spirituality rubs people the wrong way. So 
I think it's all semantics. You're really talking to like your un, the unconscious part of you because the Hoffman process is very much about digging up a lot of stuff in your unconscious. And so you're asking your unconscious or subconscious, what do you need for me? Or what is the message you have for me? I write down a lot of like wise things that apparently are bubble up <laughs> from my subconscious and uh, very quotable things from my, from my subconscious comes up during those journaling exercises. So huh. yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a great after, way to start the day. Yeah. After hearing Huberman talk about it, I've, became, I've become mildly curious. So no laptops, no phones. It's You can wear clothes though, right? Just to be clear. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that might be a, de- a deal killer for me. <laughs> That's cool. I'll have to check that out. I haven't heard of it at all, but it's good. It I sounds like highly, it's life-changing. highly recommend it. I think I sent you guys my annual personal newsletter called the Diana times. Right. I've been writing this since 2009. It's a very obnoxious newsletter about my life. And I wrote about the Hoffman process in that newsletter. So if I haven't sent it to you already, I will. 